0: over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthology is from the forefront. Book two, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. We know that God is faithful, but sometimes we don't understand what he's doing or how he's working in our lives. Today, we hear from Bill Yo a seasoned business leader about his mother's death and how that set him on a path of transformation and how one short mission trip redefined his perspective on leadership and perhaps life. Welcome to Leaders Moment, brought to you by Vision Voice and FX Missions Podcasting. We encourage you to take this moment and use it to sharpen the saw of your leadership perspective and performance. We're bringing you interviews, stories, and more from leaders much like yourself who are taking action, learning, realizing potential, and getting results. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been here for a while, welcome. Thanks for being here. You know, it's hard to believe, but this is actually episode 245, 245 of this show. It's pretty cool. And it's also a bonus episode. We've got a few of those in store for you this year. So I'll be waiting to check that out. This particular episode is with a guy I've just recently met, actually, but I've come to respect deeply in a short amount of time. We've had several conversations personally. We also have the recording here Bill Yo. It's a powerful and impactful conversation. It is to me, and I think you'll also enjoy that. He spent his career in the corporate space, very accomplished man, at the highest level of a multi-billion dollar family business, which for those of you in business, you know, (laughs) there's a lot going on in that statement. But God still had more for Bill. One of the keys to the transformation that I trust he still involved in was a short mission trip. We'll get into that more deeply when Bill shares his story. I also want to share that his book, Unvarnished Faith, which is very recently released, uh, is available on Amazon. There'll be some links for you. You got to get that. And after you read that one, go back and get his other one our way. If what Bill shares pricks your heart about the nation's We've got kind of a soft on-ramp for you. We will be having a bro summit in early May in central Mexico, and you can get more information on that if you're interested in kind of touching your toe in the water about what it means to go overseas for and with the gospel. Send me an email, scott at fxmissions.com. Or you can go to fxmissions.com's website and click on Bro Summit. Thanks for joining us today. Pretty excited to be able to continue the conversation with you about leadership and taking actions, those kinds of initiatives. Thanks for joining us. I also have an expert on the program today. And Bill, maybe you cringe a touch when I mention expert. Often people do, but this is Bill Yo. Bill, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Scott. It's my honor to be here. (laughs) It's kind of a curveball right out of the gate there. You've got some leadership in your background. You, of course, uh, in the corporate world, you've done some outreach stuff that we talked about in our prep, and uh, you've also written a book fairly recently. Maybe this is not your first book to write, but one that caught my interest welcome thanks for being here talk to us a little bit about who is bill yo for a moment
1: sure no thanks scott who is bill yo boy we could go a lot of different uh, directions with that (laughs) born and raised here in southeastern pennsylvania where i I still live today and had the chance to uh, get a a pretty strong education a couple different places and spent most of my career or i should say the first 20 some years of my career working for our family business in various you know leadership and management positions My wife, Kelly, and I have been married for 25 years. We just did a really, really thoughtful, blessed vow renewal this summer. And we have three children who are between young adult and late teenage years. Congrats on that 25. That's a great milestone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a really, really neat neat moment.
0: Yeah,
1: awesome. Please go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no worries. Yeah, it was really cool to do a vow renewal with our children standing by our sides. Not something you ever plan on being able to do, but it was a special, special event. Actually, because it was seven years ago by now, my mom passed away. And it was a real, you know, sad time for me. But along with that, it really did change my life. And I became very aware of of the presence of God in the moment that my mom went to God and the moment that her earthly suffering ended. And in the ensuing months and years since then, I really changed pretty significantly my professional course. Of direction. I pulled out of a lot of my management leadership responsibilities. I researched and wrote a book on my father, which is essentially largely a book on leadership. I started doing a lot of mission work. I really started pursuing my faith a lot more. I started a few different small groups, Bible study groups, uh, gospel reflection groups, and started really taking my faith much more seriously. I ended up ended up converting to Roman Catholicism, which my wife and her family had all been lifelong Catholics. And mm. I felt the call to join the, the Roman Catholic Church. And that all culminated with writing another book, which I'm getting ready to to publish with this faith-based. And I just completed a master's in ministry and theology as well during the pandemic. So oh my. that's me and maybe a bigger child than we needed.
0: Wow. Well, hey, it's a great overview. I've got to say, maybe you changed direction seven years ago, but it didn't sound like you slowed down, perhaps. You you've been a you've been a busy guy since this new sort of faith. Element has gripped you in a new and different way. That's pretty exciting and and encouraging. Uh, even though the you know it's a loss and a tragic sort of sense of loss coming there, but additional meaning came to your life as a result of that. So very very happy to hear for that. I'm you know th- I think about those things. I lost my stepdad after about fifty years of uh, him being in my life recently. So. Yeah, you know, and hoping for the good that could come there as well. So the current book that you you wrote, the one about your dad, you said it was uh, primarily, you know, had a strong leadership undercurrents. What's the current book?
1: What's the one you've just finished? Sure. So the book that I've just finished is called Unvarnished Faith, uh, Learning to Love with a Servant's Heart. And this is a book about a mission trip I took to Nicaragua. Actually, it was my first mission trip a few years ago. And so it chronicles the short term mission. It was a week long mission trip in Nicaragua. I know you've spent a whole bunch of your life down there and and thank you for that. But also not just telling the story of the trip, but the life observations and life lessons that came out of the trip. So the book not only talks about mission work, about food insecurity, about a lot of the things that that intersection of helping other people and faith, but also, you know, principally about love and about relationships and how central love and relationships are not just to Christian faith and to Jesus's way, but just to the better ways for us to be versions of ourselves and interact with one another and and support each other, particularly those in need. Hmm. Wow, I've got to say, I
0: you know that conversation resonates with me highly. I started traveling in short-term work like the one you're talking about there some years ago, and it was a powerful impact. Almost like I was shot from my perch. I was as I was looking in a different direction in terms of the way it impacted me, not on the intercultural type aspect of that, but just how I was a student with everything to learn (laughs) about the environment that I was in Mm -hmm. after maybe at that time, I thought I'd already learned a lot and maybe knew something. It was a whole new opportunity for me to learn unvarnished. Did I get it right? Yes. Unvarnished faith. Yes. Unvarnished faith. Very good. Very good. And we'll backlink to that stuff in the notes and that so folks can get to you and find out more about your process there. Get their hands on a copy of that, which I will do right away. The actual release date on Unvarnished Faith? February 6th. Okay. Coming right up. Yes. As of our recording time, it's coming right up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, so the, the idea of unvarnished faith is, you know, looking at my life experience, particularly at this mission that I wrote about, really brought this to the fore. It seems that we Christians, and even more broadly, people of faith, focus so much attention on the things that divide us, the doctrinal divides, the denominational divides, the ideological divides, the ecclesial divides. And while these things are important, I don't mean to belittle them. You know, what I really saw in the faces of the people that I had the chance to you know, be in relationship with in Nicaragua was... What a more stripped down version of faith is. What does it really mean to pray to God and to love God and love neighbor and to discern your talents and gifts and to use them to help other people? You know, these universal Christian ideals, even more so the universal ideas of love and being in relationship with others and looking to help other people and and using your talents to do so are all these things that just, I had this notion of this is an unvarnished version of faith and an unvarnished way of living, getting to the core of what matters. That ended up becoming the title of the book.
0: I think it really rings true and appropriate to me as the complexities of which are stripped away when you're much closer to the edge of life experience that so many in the developing world are. That has been something that struck me so directly. Those kinds of reflections and those kinds of meditations, if you will, help us even in a much more complex environment, right? with a lot more maybe surrounding us and making noise, if you will, in terms of our existence, it helps us get to the root of and get to the core and center of what we believe in and how we live. Powerful, powerful concepts. Really looking forward to reading that and participating with your learning there. I'm thankful for that. In this podcast, obviously we're talking a lot about leadership. From a leadership perspective, I'm curious as to how this time that you speak of in Unvarnished Faith, then the trip in specific, how did that impact your perspective of leadership? Maybe it changed or modified, added to. How did you come away different from a leadership point of view than prior to your engagement on this trip that became a book? Sure.
1: It's a great topic, an important topic. And, you know, the first thing I'd say about that is going on a trip like this, particularly this was the first trip I'd done. I'd done a few more since then, but Mm -hmm. I was so thrown outside of my comfort zone, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And, you know, I've really come to learn, you know, for real growth to happen, real transformational, personal transformation to happen, you have to get outside of your comfort zone. And doing a short-term mission trip like this, as you know, well, having done, you know, dozens and dozens of them over decades really has a chance to do that. So kind of it, it tills the soil, right? For new shoots to shoot up. So You know, one thing from a leadership perspective, I returned with a heightened awareness of place, you know, that place matters. And what is my place and how am I situated, not just as a leader, but as a partner, as a colleague, as a community member with others. And this brought to light issues of privilege and not privilege in the political sense that we hear in in presidential races, but true. What are the true privileges I enjoy in life? And what are some of the power dynamics around that and and the blessings that I have? And, and a lot of those things just really came to the fore. You know, One of my most sacred Bible verses, which is on my computer monitor, is Luke 12, 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much is expected. And yes. this trip and being out of my comfort zone really brought to the fore how much I've been given. And what I take from that is not that because I have so much, it doesn't mean I get to do less than the next person or even the same amount as the next person. I really feel personally driven that I have to do more than the next person because I've been given so much. So Yes. And, yes. and that leads to the other real, I would say, pivot or, or amplification I had around leadership. And I know this is something you write a lot about in your book with your five keys to leadership is the idea of servant leadership. And nothing has become more profoundly foregrounded to me in the world of being a leader than being a servant leader. I would say that was Christ's singular message about leadership in the Gospels was to be a servant leader. Those who are served are not the leaders, it's those who do the serving that are the leaders. The food ministry that I went to Nicaragua with is called Servants with a Heart. It's a food ministry that one of my brothers and his wife started a number of years ago and they'd shipped tens of millions of meals all over the world to underserved communities. And it also became the subtitle of my book, Learning to Love with a Servant's Heart. And just all the different facets of servant leadership became incredibly clear to me you know, spending just this one week away in, in a place like Nicaragua doing the kind of work we were doing. Wow. Yes. I can't say I felt prepared to go on the trip, but once I was there, these things just started showering over me like a waterfall. Well, it makes sense.
0: I think some learning, you know, we get ready for, <laughs> and some learning is, uh, comes kind of out of nowhere. And sometimes we can learn in that way, in ways that we can't maybe learn if we're if we're uh, so ready for the lesson, we'll also, if you can send me the links for your brother's ministry, I'd love to include those in the show notes so folks can check out sure. potentially a way to get involved in their food ministry. It sounds extremely worthwhile and, and powerful. I would consider you a seasoned leader. We both go to the same hairstylist because I noticed they'd like to use the same color on your hair application as they do <laughs> on mine. We're seasoned uh, people. To a degree. We still got some uh, good, strong uh, decades in us, but we're... we're, We have gravitas,
1: whether it's it's oriented or (laughs) not.
0: Well said, well said. Yeah, I would say you were kind of already a seasoned leader when you started stepping out and you took this first trip that you wrote about, others since. What would you, as a seasoned leader, recommend to potentially other people in that same space who are looking to do or maybe getting ready to do their first cross-cultural work. Do you have some things that come to mind?
1: Sure. For sure, I do. It's a great question. And we were brought through sort of an orientation process going to it. Quite honestly, though, Scott, the first thing I'd say, and this is obviously a shameless plug, I would read your book and I'd read my book because I think both (laughs) of these books really embody what it's like to be a leader on these kinds of trips. And so that would be something I would offer up. But Thank you know, you. one thing I would offer to seasoned leaders is leave your alphaness behind. If you're going on one of these trips it's the first one you've been on, you are not the leader of this trip. And if you are the leader of a trip, having never been on one, it's probably not going to be a very good trip. Be okay and just set a mindset of you're not in control. Have that serenity to know what you can and cannot control. Mm-hmm. And just go in there in full sort of sponge mode, soak up, absorb, be open. You know, my experience on these trips, as I know yours is, is is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is it's so inspiring and even overwhelming at times with how raw and captivating everything can be and just be open to that. And then the other thing, as I just said earlier, you know, is really think hard about how can you introduce more service into your leadership style, that whole idea about servant leadership. One of the things I talk about in the book that we've done on the trips I've been on is this exercise we have called Telling Your Story. And, you know, you've been on enough of these trips that you come back and, and the question you always get asked, oh, I heard you went on a mission trip. So how was it? Yeah. So we do this exercise called telling your story. And the step is basic, but there's something we don't often do, which is, you know, each night we'll sit down in small groups and, and reflect on the day and have these little questions to answer. But, you know, what were a couple key observations today, a couple key events, a couple key takeaways. And then when you get about midweek, you start to think about, you know, what's percolating in you maybe is some more meta takeaways or themes from the trip. And then towards the end of the trip, you really come down to almost this idea of an elevator pitch to answer that question. So, how was your mission trip? And this idea of reflecting and this idea of introspection and real time processing about what you're doing is something we do so infrequently in life. And so, as leaders, if we can adopt that kind of mentality more regularly, and particularly from a service perspective, how can we serve our organization? How can we serve our community? How can we serve whatever sort of institutions that we're responsible for or stewarding? And now, how do we help people tell their story and bring their whole selves to the organization, to the mission, to their job, to their vocation? It may not seem intuitive, but mission work is a great way to sort of open up those avenues for a leader to be more predisposed to institute that kind of change or that kind of practice in your organization.
0: That's really cool. As you're talking about that, I'm thinking about probably, what was it, 15, 20 years ago? when this management offsite was a really big deal, you know, let's take the entire management team, let's go offsite, let's spend a weekend. I'm thinking about a management offsite to the slums of Nicaragua or something, you know, like this dynamic of introspection and seeing people in a different light. We've done a number of those over the years, uh, management offsites, but it just occurs to me that for those organizations and possibly people of faith and organizations that have a strong faith affiliation, Maybe there, somebody just needs to do an offsite to where you went there in, I believe it was in uh, Managua that you guys were uh, concentrating your efforts in the, do I remember it right? It's in the trash dump. Do I remember right where you guys were working?
1: Yeah. So the local group we hooked up with was in a suburb of Managua, the capital, but we did our ministry workers, you know, out in a lot of different feeding centers. and, And one of them, yeah, was a trash dump. And in fact, I opened the book with a vignette from there and just unimaginable that this Three generations of one family have all been born and raised literally in a trash dump, just foraging what they can from the trash dump. And it could not be further from the existence I have and where I live and how I live. So,
0: yeah. And I think that's very many of us. You know, that just resonates through me. And that story, I think, is something that we, we need to avail ourselves to. And the experience as well. I mean, you're lending people your experience by writing this book. I really am thankful you've done that, and I appreciate your bravery and courage to step out and, and to take those steps. What made you think as you came back, as you reflected, as you reentered your normal sort of turns of life, albeit potentially a different person there, what made you think, I need to write about this? What spurred wanting to
1: write the book and where that came from? Yeah. How did you decide, I need to write about this? What were the decision elements there? Well, it's really interesting because I just published my first book, and as I said, that was a biography on my father and sort of by extension on our business and on our family. And on the third day of this mission trip, I woke up in the morning, and you know, at the time, I kind of said to one of the other you know, chaperones, missionaries at breakfast, boy, I had the craziest thing in my subconscious when I woke up this morning that I think I'm supposed to write a book about this trip. Hmm. My fellow missionary got goosebumps, and I wrote about this <laughs> book, and she said, look, the Holy Spirit what are you talking about? I said, look, the Holy Spirit, you just mentioned that and the Holy Spirit hit me with goosebumps. Yes, you're supposed to write this book. So. so I spent the back half of the trip going back into biographer mode and research mode and interviewing people and being much more sort of open to it. And what was interesting is writing the story of the trip and trying to describe it and, and paint a picture through words for the reader was, while I enjoy that challenge, was similar to what I'd done in my first book because I, I like being a storyteller. What was really the challenge with this book was what are the themes and what's the ethos I want to espouse through this book? And how did I land on love and relationships? And each part of the book deals with one of my six days that I was in country. And I also use each of those six parts to talk about what's a core tenant that leads to a foregrounding of love and relationships. So I talk about character, I talk about dignity, I talk about talents, I talk about serenity, I talk about failure, and I talk about gratitude. And each of these six are things that as I reflected more on the trip and I reflected more on my life, they kind of surfaced as these are the core things that through my lens and through my experience that really fuel a commitment towards love and a commitment towards nurturing relationships and, and investing in communities and supporting people. Then the pandemic hit. And as I mentioned earlier, I felt a call towards pursuing further academics. So I enrolled in a ministry and theology program to see what I could do to help with issues of privilege and injustice and disparities and power dynamics and Mm-hmm. some of those things. So I kind of worked the book and the academics at the same time. And, and now i you know, just finished my degree last month and, and this month I'm publishing the book. So it's all kind of come together at the same time.
0: Wow. Yeah. Like I said, you've been busy. I guess that this is kind of a strange way to say it, but you kind of got a window of time there where the world stopped for deep reflection on what your experience had just been. And also in making yourself ready to make the most of it. That maybe was an upside of the pause that the world went into. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, for sure, Scott. Everybody has their story, their experience of the pandemic. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, just this incredible awareness I developed of the privilege I have. And again, not in a political sense, but we live in a nice house. We live in a walkable neighborhood. We had all of our children unexpectedly under the same roof for months at a time. As an extreme extrovert, I absolutely missed interacting with people. You know, Zoom didn't quite get it done. But the other side of that is, as a family, we got to plan our weekly meals and we instituted movie night and we instituted pizza night and all these different things. But it really did make me aware of all the blessings in our lives and all the things that we have going for us. And, you know, again, as part of God's plan and me being more open to it, I wandered up the road to Villanova University and found that they had this program in ministry and theology, and a lot of the ministry stuff focused on, you know, issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and looking at these things through a lens of Christ, and yeah. how can I employ my talents and gifts to help those around me and the communities I'm involved with? And it just felt right to work the book at the same time, and as part of this big plan that I'm just a small part of, the fact that one is ending as soon as the next is beginning is just a great momentum builder, so. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Just kind of switching gears here, we've probably got about 10 minutes left in our time, and I want to make sure and get anything in that you want to include. But just a few more questions on my side, but I want to make sure, again, include everything that's on your mind. What do you hope that your book will accomplish? What do you hope it will contribute in the conversation, in those who read it, and maybe just in general?
1: What's the contribution you're hoping for? Thank you for asking that. Yeah, the first thing I'll say before I answer it is, you know, I, I'm a storyteller and I wrote a story. And like with my first book, I'll be really excited to hear the various takeaways people have. Yeah, I sort of think about, you know, when when a preacher gives a sermon or a homily, they put it out there based on what the Holy Spirit's put on their heart and their mind, but they have mm-hmm. no idea what their congregation's going to receive. And, and you always hear these stories from preachers and deacons and priests that, well, somebody said this to me on the way out the church, and I had no idea that's what they were going to take away from this. So now, with that said, you know, I do have a couple hopeful objectives, if I may. And the first is, as we've talked about, just to heighten awareness of the real endemic and epidemic that is food insecurity. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously, there's been so much appropriate focus in the world about COVID and all the terrible things that has brought. But food insecurity is truly a worldwide crisis. It ties to gender issues and race issues and geographic issues and geopolitical issues. Everything is both caused by and a contributor to food insecurity. And, and obviously it's not just in the global South. It's not just in different places. It, it's within a, a short drive from virtually any community, anywhere in the developed world, let alone in the developing world. So that would be number one, would be food insecurity. Secondly, would be people trying on the role of minister, or of ministry. And ministry can be a scary term. It sounds like a very formal term and sort of a church term. I've never taken any theology courses. How could I be a minister? Well, the reality is we're all ministers. We're all engaged in helping other people. We're all engaged in trying to make the world better for other people. As human beings, that's how we were designed. It's how we're wired. And part of the faith journey and part of discovery, and I hope people may sort of try this on as they're reading my story, is being real intentional about what revelation is showing up for me about my role in life? And then how can I discern that revelation to maybe do things differently? So, for example, a lot of times people will say, well, I go to a soup kitchen every quarter and I you know, pack turkeys on Thanksgiving, but I need to do more of that. I need to do more of those kind of things. And, and my response is often, yes, you do. And, and good for you for doing more. And consider the things that you do with the bulk of your time and your energy and your talents, your job, your day job, your volunteer work that you do, your your family life, who you are as a mother or a father, a brother, a sister, whatever it might be, a child. How can you look at those things as ministry? You know, ministry doesn't often happen in a pulpit. Ministry usually happens in a living room or on a street corner or in a subway or on, a, on an airplane or on a telephone or on a computer screen. So having people look at that. And then the third thing, which I mentioned earlier, is just You know, I do hope people maybe have a different appreciation for place and sort of where they're situated in the world and maybe a broader aperture towards the relationships in their lives, the communities that they're engaged with, and ways that they can employ their time and talents and treasures to make the world a better place. Well, you've given yourself a high goal there.
0: (laughs) Obviously, the story that you were experiencing resonated deep inside of you to create those types of goals or objectives or hopes that you could give voice to the experience. I, like you, am, have been trying for years to give voice to my experience in a way that helped people join me in the experience or at least have an essence of it. I'm very confident that's what you've done in this new book. You, We're going to join you in your feeding centers and we're going to have that experience. We're going to enter into it with you. And in part, as we can only in part, I expect to be inspired, I expect to be encouraged as well, and also maybe challenged a little. I mean, you're you're a very uh, suave guy. You got some style points in terms of pointing up to us <laughs> some areas we could look at, but doing it in a way that we all felt better about considering it. So thank you for your approach to opening up something new to folks in a way That is most likely to be accepted. (laughs) I feel confident that that's something you have as a gift. So as we're wrapping up here, what else is on your list? What else did we miss that you wanted to make sure include? And then we'll reemphasize the name of the book and we'll be prepared to backlink that other information as well.
1: Sure. Well, well, well thanks, Scott. And you are very, very generous and effusive with your praise. And I, I appreciate <laughs> that. But, you know, wh- one of the things that actually is just what you were talking about is you know, a couple of things in, in the first volume of your anthologies you put out. You talk a lot. I mentioned you talk about servant leadership. but You talk about lifelong learning. And I could not agree with that more. Not only the academic learning, there's a expression that I've never been able to find it who actually said it, but is that the truly educated never graduate. You know, so I, I think I, I really commend you for books on that. And the other thing from a leadership perspective, I like you have a section in your book where you talk about followership. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of said, well, you could argue the simplest definition of a leader is somebody who has followers, right? So, you know, people have all sorts of different definitions of leader. Well, if it, by definition, people follow a leader. And so the fact that you were astute enough to talk about that in your book, I thought was a good thing. But the last thing from My part that I'd like to share is is, uh, Psalm 116, verse 9 says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The first time I I read that passage a number of years ago, it, it really struck me as I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So what does that mean from a leadership perspective? Well, that means that I'm walking before the Lord. I'm walking with God. I am the arms and legs. I am the eyes and ears of Christ here on earth. I'm in the land of the living. So when I'm talking with you, when I'm on a mission, when I'm at Villanova, It's very easy to kind of do the God talk and the Bible speak, and it's very accepted. But we all know that the majority of our times, the majority of the communities we're in the world, you're speaking in the vernacular. You're speaking, you're in secular environments. And so I really like both the intellectual challenge and the leadership challenge of how do I continue to walk before the Lord, continue to use sort of a a lens of Christ in my faith. Mm-hmm. But do it in the vernacular and in a way that resonates and is accepted within whatever the community organization is that I'm engaged in. A lot of that has to do with dialogue. I focus a lot on dialogue and civil discourse. These things in our digital social media ages and political ages, and you know, MSNBC versus Fox News ages or dialogue is really challenged. So, you know, how can we as leaders use our faith principles, but in a way that resonates within the communities we're in and try and recognize that these people on the margins that are literally paid to have us be at odds with each other, are bringing up these very thin divides. It's like my idea of unvarnished faith. Most of what we have in common, most of our fears, most of our wants, most of our hopes and aspirations are the same. We're built as humans. We are created in the image of God, and we're wired similarly, and we're wired the same in many different ways. And 99.9% of the DNA of all human beings is the same. Wow. And, and, and so much of that zero one percent breeds so much of the animosity and issues we have. So how can we as faith leaders or leaders who are faith-fueled use our faith lens and our faith muscles, if you will, that spiritual weightlifting that we do to show up as good versions of ourselves and show up as good servant leaders in the different communities and organizations we're involved with. So not that the book goes into a lot of that, but you asked for sort of one last plug from me, and that would be mine.
0: Yeah, very well said. Thank you. That was articulated. Uh, You struck me there with the whole people who are paid to divide us uh, That's straight talk and and valuable perspective. You have the opportunity to relate to what we all have in common and the struggle that, you know, we're all in the same struggle here. We want the same things. Those are powerful, overarching realities. We do all of ourselves a favor by realizing that and and, and trying to do our best at getting inside of someone else's skin and, and feeling and experiencing our commonality in a way that that brings us together instead of dividing. One final question, if you will, after we hit stop, stick around with me for just a second, but what's next
1: for Bill Yo? Boy, Scott, that is a great, great question. Yeah, having just finished a degree and preparing to publish a book, I'm very hopeful that the book will spur a lot of different speaking engagements and talking engagements. Uh, my, My first book, is still a gift that's giving. That book came out several years ago, and I continue to do author talks and, and book events around that. I've done up to about 60, up 50 or 60 of them by now. So wow. I really hope, it, as, as you say, that this message, these messages will resonate about those things out there. You know, With that said, I'm in a discernment process right now. I continue to own and govern our family business with my brothers, and that is really important work. And we've got a lot of employees that count on our family you know, doing things the right way, but that's not from a that's important time and quality time, but it's not a huge quantity of time. So uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm in a discernment process right now about my business and, and leadership skills and my faith passion and where all that comes together. So, uh, So I'd say stay tuned. <laughs> we will
0: do exactly that, Bill. Thank you so much for your courage and for stepping out, having these new experiences to add to what's already a pretty full life. So I know the faith aspect of your life is taking up more of the geography of the overall there. And I applaud that. Thank you for your contribution. I'll look with attention and pay close attention to where Bill Yo is going. We'll have the backlinks. Unvarnished Faith is the name of your book. It's releasing by the time folks hear this podcast. I think it releases the next day. So, we'll get as many people to you as we can to have that walk through the shared experience of your time there. We really appreciate the time you took with us.
1: Thank you for being here. Great. Thank you, Scott. And thank you for everything you do uh, to make the world a better place. We're all very grateful and blessed to have you.
0: Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, Bill Yo, for your willingness to join us and share your story, particularly this chapter, as it's unfolding with your leadership perspective being redefined. Really, really thankful for that. I was delighted to meet and get to know Bill Yo, and I want to say thank you, Bill. One thing also that really struck me or stuck out to me in terms of importance as a takeaway is humility For those of us who may have a little accomplishment, maybe we've got a little bit of uh, things going our way. Things are, you know, maybe we've got a little more of this or that or the other than someone else. It's really a challenge sometimes to humble ourselves to learn again things that we think we already know. And that really rung true with me in Bill's story. I've got to say, We can all use more humility. I was for myself in some of my early trips on the field. I was really uh, had my bell rung. (laughs) Yeah, sounds painful. Yes, humility. Thank you for sharing uh, your perspective on that, Bill. As I mentioned also before the interview, we do have that Bro Summit coming up in May of 23, Central Mexico. If you're interested in no more details or information about that, email me, scott, at fxmissions.com, or go to fxmissions.com and click on Bro Summit. Thank you for being a part of the Leaders' Moment podcast. We also want to say thanks to Vision Voice, our sponsor, and encourage you to check out their website at visionvoice.us. Also, if you haven't already, please visit leadersmoment.org follow to have this podcast and future ones delivered to your favorite podcast app every time we publish. Thanks again.